All right, I want you to think real quick. The last time you got some really good news. What was the really good news you got, and what did you do when you got the news? You know, maybe it was uh, somebody was, was pregnant. You know, you're, you're going to have your first grandchild. Uh, maybe it was that the baby's been born and mom and baby are still healthy. That's some really good news. Maybe the letter came in the mail. You got into that college you were hoping to get into. Maybe your son's getting out of jail next month. A lot of good news. You know, what, what do you do when you get good news? How do you feel? It's exciting. And then you probably hop right on Facebook and want to tell everybody else about it. Right? There's something about good news we want to tell other people. Now, the word gospel literally means good news. And it's, it's the best news there is. But when I say gospel, what comes to mind? You know, maybe you're new to church. Maybe this is your first time or, or, or you're new to the Christian thing. And the word gospel, you're like, that's just Greek to me. Uh, I don't get it. Well, we're going to talk about that today. But maybe you've been in the church for a little while and you've heard that. What is the gospel? If, if I asked you, we were out in the parking lot after this playing Jenga, because there's Jenga, and I said, explain to me the gospel, what would you say? Now, the gospel, it means literally good news, and it's the good news of salvation. It's the good news that, that reconciles fallen people back to God. Another way to ask the question would be, how is a person saved? You know, how does a person get to heaven? There's a heaven, there's a hell. How does a person get to heaven? That's the question. And typically, when you ask that question, or what is the gospel, you'll get one of four answers. Uh, and I actually asked that question this week of two different people, and I got two different answers. Both were wrong. But you'll get, you'll get one of four answers typically. And the first one is this. Well, I was born a Christian. My parents were Christians. I was raised in the church, so I'm a Christian. Well, here's the thing about that answer. That's heritage. That's not the gospel. You know, we aren't Christians because maybe we were baptized as a baby and we were around it growing up. We are Christians for a different reason. So that is not the gospel. And heritage cannot save. Number two, this is probably the most popular in America. I try and be good. You know, I, I, I do more good than bad, so I'll probably get there. This week, I was talking to one young man who uh, was raised in the Catholic Church. And I said, you know, we, we just got talking about it. And I said, well, how, how does a person get to heaven? I said, do you believe in God? Yeah. You believe in heaven and hell? Yes. Then how does a person get to heaven? He says, well, you know, go to church, go to Mass, go to Mass, and, and, do, and kind of listed these things. And he listed some things. Then he said, go to Mass every week. And I said, do you go to Mass every week? Well, no. So then are you getting in? Well, yeah, probably. I said, why? Well, because I'm pretty good. I'm pre well, that's moralism. That's not the gospel. That's moralism. That's this, this weighing of good and bad. And most Americans, that's naturally where we go to. Well, I'm in general a good person. I look around, I'm like, well, I'm at least better than this one, you know, then, then I'm probably getting in. Again, not the gospel. In fact, Scripture says that our good deeds are like filthy rags. That's what the Bible says. It says that there's none righteous, no, not one. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. So Scripture makes very clear nobody can be good enough. Well, here's the third one. Well, I go to church. I read my Bible, I give, I volunteer at the food shelter, and this is one I've heard also frequently. I remember doing a job for a guy years ago, and we just got talking, and his testimony was that he spends every night of the week at his church. That was his, you know, that's it. Well, I proved that I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven because I'm at church for this Bible study, and I'm at church for that Bible study, and I'm there Sunday morning, and study. I mean, that was his list. Well, that's religion. 
That's also not the gospel. And this one, within the religious world, within Protestant churches and Catholic churches, a lot of times we can go here and actually miss the gospel when we go to religion, which is just spiritual activity. And you can do a lot of spiritual activity and not actually understand the gospel and maybe not even be saved. You know, and as I was talking to this young man, he agreed with that. As we were talking, he said, yeah, you know, I know a lot of religious people that are, they're just bad people. <laughs> you know, they do all the rules. He's like, but they're just, they're not pleasant people. I said, exactly, exactly. Now, here's the fourth one, the real gospel. And this is what we're spending our time on today. What is the good news that brings us from separated from God to united with God, saved? Now, here's the thing about the good news we first have to hear some bad news. If you would, grab your Bible, turn to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. If you need a Bible, there's one in the, the seat underneath you. Um, Ephesians is a small book, so feel free to use your table of contents to look it up, but it's about here. So go to the back and then flip about that far, and you'll find Ephesians. But Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. And, and let me give you a little context that will help this. The book of Ephesians was written in about A.D. 50-60, so almost 2,000 years ago, by Paul. Now, Paul would have fallen into that religious camp. Paul was a great religious leader, a religious Jew. He was a Pharisee, a Pharisee among Pharisees. I mean, he had it going on. And for him, he didn't know Jesus during Jesus' earthly life. He then, after the church was formed, Jesus died, rose from the dead, ascended. Paul then kind of led an organized campaign to arrest Christians and put him in jail. And it was on one of these journeys where Paul was going, his name was Saul at that point, was going to arrest Christians that Jesus appeared to him on the road. You know, a, a bright light blinded him, and, and the voice came from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, holy crap, who, who are you? He says, well, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. You know, and he sends him to one of his disciples who then explained to him the gospel. And so, so Jesus appeared to, to Paul, to Saul, saved him, and then actually taught him the gospel. So Paul is, is uh, an apostle because he met the risen Lord and he was taught by Jesus. There are no apostles anymore. And Paul, because of his relationship with God as an apostle and the Holy Spirit through him, gave him the ability to write these scriptures. So he's writing to the Ephesian Christians, which he had been there for two years, uh, about nine, eight, nine years before this. He'd been there for two years building the church. God had done a lot of miracles in that area. Then he kind of had to run out on a bad day when there was a riot. Um, and now he's in prison and he's writing back to this church. This church had come out of rich paganism. Ephesus had the, the temple to Artemis. Uh, there was a lot of other demonic activity around that area. And so this is what they knew. As we had said last week, none of these people reading this grew up in a Christian home. None of them. They all came to know Christ as adults or later in life. They hadn't been Christians very long. And so Paul, in the first whole chapter of Ephesians, was talking about their identity in Christ. Here's who you are in Him. Here's the blessings that belong to you in Him. And here's how I'm praying for you, that you will know Him deeply, not just intellectually, but know Him in your heart experientially. Now, at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2, He's going to remind them of their testimony. Now, He's writing to Christians to encourage them, to remind them, maybe to shore up the gospel so that they can explain it even better. 
although he's writing to Christians, this is maybe the, the best 10 verses in all the Scripture to share the gospel. So if you're wondering, when I asked what's the gospel, and you kind of in your mind went, I don't know. Here's the verses. If you have friends that need to know Jesus and you want to tell them, but you don't have the words, pay attention today. These verses will explain the gospel. Let me read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here is the gospel. But to share the gospel, to know the gospel, it starts with bad news. And here's the bad news. If you're a note taker, this is your first note. Every person begins life spiritually dead because of sin. Look at verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Dead. Now, this, this is dead. This isn't like mostly dead. This is all dead. You were dead. This is a person's condition before Jesus Christ. If you're in here and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as Lord, I have bad news. You are spiritually dead. Now, don't feel judged because guess what? Paul makes very clear. This is the condition of every person ever born ever. And so there's no pride for the believer that's saved. They don't do it. So there's no judgment from us Christians. You know, a proud Christian, proud of their salvation, is an oxymoron. They don't even get the gospel because it's a free gift we didn't earn. But this is our condition before Christ, dead. Not drowning in a pool, reaching to God, God save me, dead. At the bottom of the pool, lungs filled with water, dead. This is why Jesus, when he met with Nicodemus, the religious leader, he said, you must be born again. He was trying to figure that out. He was spiritually dead. He needed to be born again. Here's, here's what this is talking about, this condition. The Bible talks about us being in Adam. So here's our, our state before Christ. Because of Adam and Eve, it goes back to Genesis 1, God made Adam and Eve, put them in a garden, made everything great, and gave them one rule, one command. You can do anything you want. Don't eat from that tree. It wasn't an apple tree, by the way. Uh, we don't know what kind of fruit it was, but, but he said, don't eat of that tree. Now, why would God create people to be in relationship with him that he could share himself with and give him one rule? If he didn't give the one rule and we didn't have the option to go our own way, we'd be robots. Love isn't real love if there's no choice to not love, if that makes sense. So he had to give them one rule, don't eat from the tree. Well, we know the story. They ate from the tree. 
And God had told them, the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, they died physically later, but the day, the moment they ate of it, they died spiritually. And you can read the account of what happens. Their eyes were opened. They recognized their nakedness. They hid from God, whereas they used to walk with Him in the garden. Everything changed. We call this the fall. It didn't only change mankind. It actually changed the world. We didn't have goat heads and mosquitoes before that. I'm sure of it. But, but it changed the world. The world was broken because of sin. And every single person is broken because of sin, because Adam and Eve did it, because your parents did it, and we can blame them. So we're born. That's our heritage. But we can't just sit there and point the finger, because he makes very clear. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, meaning the course of your life. You lived according to those sins. So we can't just point the finger back. We get to point the finger here. I have also sinned. In Romans 5.12, Paul says it this way, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So no one is without excuse. No one is righteous, the Bible says. We're all sinners. This is our state. And here's why Paul is writing this and making this so clear. Before God intervenes in our lives, we are completely helpless and hopeless. That's what he wants us to understand. That's our state. That's the bad news. Helpless and hopeless. Dead. Dead. And here's what Jesus says about sin elsewhere. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. So not just dead, but actually held in bondage to sin, which is expressed in three different ways. And so we're going to see that, but Andrew here is going to, he's going to be my guinea pig. He's going to be my example. Come on up here and have a seat if you would. Now, he's dead spiritually, but physically he's alive. That's why he could walk up here. So Andrew is representing all of us, all of us here as, as people before Christ. And what, is, what do these verses say? It says that you're a slave of sin, but it goes on in verse uh, 2. It says, in which you once walked following the course of this world. So that's the first entity that holds us in bondage, the world. That's the word cosmos. It's not the universe exactly. It is the world organized against God. Scripture makes very clear that every world system is against God. Now, we've got our American system. You know, there's the, the Indian system, Chinese. I mean, there's different cultures around the world, and they're very different, but they're united in one thing against God. They're united in one thing, drawing people away from God. So the Bible says that we are enslaved to the world, chained. Nothing you can do about it. So we're dead and we're chained to the world. This is in your notes. Before Christ, we cannot help but follow the world. Again, just think about what is our world telling us today? What's it telling you? Do what makes you happy. You know, all these other things that it's talking about, there is no such thing as truth. Believe whatever you want. You know, what's true for you can be true for you and not for me, which we know that's not. That makes zero sense. You know, you can't believe that uh, you can breathe underwater and go jump in. I mean, you're going to drown. There is absolute truth. So the world leads us astray, and, and before Christ, we have this veil over our hearts and our minds where we just kind of naturally follow the world and, and don't really even get it. So again, 
There's no judgment from the Christian to the non-Christian of, oh, you're so blind. They're, they're veiled. They can't see. The course of the world is binding us and leading us astray. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 3, it's on the screen. It says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. Whatever the world is telling you to do, it's probably wrong. It's that simple. Look at, look at the flow of where culture, society, if you're in school, look around at all your peers, where are all of them going? You should probably just turn and go the opposite direction almost every time because the world is against God. But here's the bad news. It's even worse than that. Look at verse 2 still. In which you once walked, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among the sons of disobedience. So here's our, our second chain, our second enslavement. Let's see those chains. How's that working out for you? Enslaved to the devil. It says the prince of the power of the air that is speaking of Satan. Satan is very, very real. You know, the Bible doesn't talk a lot about his origins, but it looks like from a couple passages in the Old Testament that sometime between creation, that seventh day, and the fall of Adam and Eve, Satan, who was a great angel, who was one of the top angels, rebelled against God and led a third of the hosts of the, of the heavenly realms, a third of the angels, away from God. That's what it looks like. Again, we don't know all those details, but Satan, a very powerful, maybe the most powerful other than God, set his eyes on God's throne, and so God kicked him out of heaven. Fallen angels, spirits, demons. This is in your notes. Before Christ, we cannot help but follow Satan. In 1 Corinthians 10.20, it's written that whoever is sacrificing to an idol is actually sacrificing to a demon. 2 Timothy 2.26 says, And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So behind this world system is the devil, is Satan. Now, this isn't an excuse. You know, we're not looking for a devil behind every bush, but every false religion has demonic activity behind it. That's what Scripture teaches. It's a deception, a deceiving. Even look back in, in uh, Genesis, you see Moses. When Moses came in an exodus when he led the people out of Egypt. Moses came and did miracles. Well, the Pharaoh brought his magicians in. They did miracles too. Now, theirs weren't as good, but, but they, they had the power of the devil also. And here, this Ephesian church, these Ephesian Christians had been in a culture where they saw this kind of power. They saw spirits behind everything, and, and they, were, they were cursing and they were casting spirits. I mean, they were, this stuff was real. So these Christians who came to know Christ in Ephesus, we, we've talked about this before, when they came to know Christ, they took their magic books and burned them, a value of about $6 million if we translated it to now. It was a big deal. So, so it's talking about we were all enslaved to the devil, just going his way and didn't even know it. Now, back then, every, there was no such thing as an atheist until maybe a couple hundred years ago. Everybody understood there was a God, there were gods. It was just a question of, of what and who. But back then, you know, demons were much more active. Now, I think Satan, at least in this culture, has changed his tactic a little bit. Maybe you've seen the movie in Kaiser Soze, 
who says the, the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the world he didn't exist. I mean, this is why so many of us Americans have gone astray, because we deny the spiritual realm, and now we're following Satan and don't even know it. That's the second chain. Again, no pride for us as believers. This is where we all were, but it gets even worse. Look at verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So the third one is our flesh, us. We are chained. We are bound by our flesh, by our own nature. Sorry, Andrew, you're stuck. Can you get out? <laughs> this is the picture Paul is trying to paint for us. Dead and bound to the world, to the devil, to your own flesh. Maybe you experienced this. You did before Jesus. Maybe even some after Jesus. Your, your body, your flesh is kind of bent away from God. This is in your notes. Before Christ, our own flesh is bent towards sin and away from God. You may think, if only you locked yourself in a cave in the middle of nowhere with no other people around, no access to the world, no TV, no internet, you'd be okay. The problem is you'd be trapping your sin in with you because you're still there and you're the problem. And I'm the problem. It's in us by nature. This is what it means because we were by nature children of wrath. This is speaking of the wrath of God. Now, this doesn't mean that God is vindictive and angry and just wants to smite people. God is not you know, a kid with a microscope or a, a magnifying glass on ants. That's not God. But God is just. And so His wrath will be poured out on unrighteousness. It has to be. And we, by nature, were children of wrath, meaning by nature we're born destined for hell. There is a hell, Scripture makes very clear, and that's where we're all going. It's where we, what we all deserve, we're destined for. That's what he means, destined, born by nature, children of wrath, stuck on our flesh. You see this. Look at Andrew. Helpless and hopeless. <laughs> that's his point. Before Christ, helpless and hopeless. Again, no pride. No pride for the Christian, just like the rest of mankind. This is what you were. I mean, imagine these Ephesian Christians, maybe like Americans, looking around at the world broken all around him. And he says, you used to be just like that. But, look at verse 4. But God. Time out right there. Aren't those the greatest two words you could ever hear? <laughs> but God. Oh, I'm addicted to pornography. But God. My marriage is in shambles. But God. I'm addicted to, to alcohol, whatever it is, but God. We can use but God for a solution, whatever it is, but God. That's what he says, but God. You were dead, enslaved to the world, the flesh, and the devil. You could do nothing about it, but God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our tre trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. But God. Now, here's what we see. We kind of see those three things that entrap us and the three aspects of God that set us free. Look at those verses. What's the first one? But God, being rich in mercy. What's mercy? Mercy is withholding what somebody is due. 
The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. It's what we deserve. Mercy is you don't get what you deserve. Mercy is the kid goes into the, the, the freezer and takes some ice cream and you catch them eating it and they deserve a spanking. Mercy is they don't get that spanking. So because of God being rich in mercy breaks a chain. But not just mercy. <laughs> yeah. His mercy, rich in love. Again, God loves us. This is the theme of the whole Bible. This is a love book written from God to us. God, in His love, looks at you and adores you. Have you looked in the mirror lately? He adores you. And I say that to myself. I look at, I look at my spirit in the mirror. I look at the darkness still in me, the temptations, the pride, the disgusting. And then I look at how God looks at me. What we saw in chapter 1, God looks at me and goes, I adore you. And I go, why? He's like, I don't know, but I do. <laughs> he loves us. In His love, He chose to send His Son to die on the cross in our place to set us free. Let's see if we can't break another chain. Nope. <laughs> Let's try this one. Man, you're stuck. <laughs> there we go. Broke that chain. <laughs> because of His love, He breaks the next chain. You're fine. <laughs> his mercy, his love, and one more thing. By grace you have been saved. What's grace? Grace is being given what you didn't earn, being given what you didn't deserve. The kid that got the ice cream that deserves a spanking instead doesn't get the spanking and you give him some popcorn. That's, you know, that's kind of weird, but it's two sides of the same coin. We are given grace. God, in His grace, wants to give us a relationship with Him. He wants to forgive us of our sins. We don't deserve it. He wants to bring us into a, a relationship with Him. We don't deserve it. He adopts us as His sons and daughters. We don't deserve it. He gives us an inheritance in Him, eternity in heaven, not hell. We don't deserve it. So in His grace, He breaks that last chain. I guess you're going to need to unlock that last lock, though. <laughs> the chain is broken. God, when we were dead, makes us alive, sets us free because of His grace, His mercy, and His love. But God, this is in your notes, raises the dead to life and sets us free because of His love, grace, and mercy. But God... But here's the thing about that grace. It's not just the grace of forgiveness. It doesn't just give you the, the get-out-of-hell-free card. That's not grace. That's part of it. But what's he say here? Look on at verse 6. By grace you have been saved. That's verse 5. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us, in Christ Jesus, meaning eternal life starts now and He saves us so that forever He can pour out more gifts on us. That's ridiculous. Forever and ever, we are going to get to know Him more and more and He's going to reveal more and more to us and pour out grace to us. We don't deserve... This is what's coming. This is what's coming. That is grace. We're going to get to know Him forever and ever and ever. But how is this possible? How is it possible that He can set us free? Well, the Bible talks about us being dead. 
and enslaved to sin, and we're stuck, and there's nothing we can do about it. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, for the wages of sin is death. We're stuck there. But the Bible also says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So we have this eternal debt that we can't pay. It's impossible, helpless and hopeless. There's only one that can pay the debt, God Himself. And God can pay the debt because He is eternal, because He is perfectly righteous. But without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So God can't pay our debt because He's spirit. He's God. He can't die unless He puts a body on, unless He takes on flesh, which He did. This is the greatest news that you could ever hear. I mean, if, I, if they asked me when they were writing the Bible, I probably wouldn't call it good news. I'd call it great news. You know, this is the gospel that God took on flesh so that He could be perfectly righteous, He could pay the debt, and He had a body that could bleed. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus, perfect, Jesus, fully God, fully man, had the righteousness and authority to pay the debt and the flesh to be broken as payment for our sin. And let me add to that, the love and willingness to do it. He went through that for us to set us free. That's the gospel. Do you know anybody that needs to hear this good news? Are you in here today, and maybe this is the first time you've understood this? You can be free today. All this can happen to you today. And maybe now you have the words to go share it with somebody else that they could be free. But what's our part? Well, look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. He's very clear. Works has nothing to do with it. It is by faith. By faith. Faith is belief. That's what faith means. Belief. Faith is not a work. I would say faith is like Andrew lifting up his arm for the chain to be broken. That's it. You know, if I went to break the chain, he's like, what, 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 what? You know what I mean? And that's, that's what people do. I'm going to do it my own way. No, I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to struggle with these chains. I'll figure it out. Faith is just going, yep, I accept. Cut these chains. Thank you. Faith. The means by which we receive this free gift of life is faith. Remember John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Belief. God came in flesh, died on the cross for us, rose from the dead, and through His deeds you can be set free. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Faith is a confident trust and reliance upon Christ Jesus and is the only means by which one can obtain salvation. The only means. Now go back real quick to moralism and religion. Be good. Do spiritual or religious activity. Well, let's look at verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are saved by grace. We are created new. We are born again. We are taken from spiritually dead to spiritually alive, not just to get our, you know, go to heaven free card, not just to be forgiven, but because He has a plan to do great things in and through us. We are His workmanship. This means masterpiece. That's what that means. Do you realize you're a masterpiece? Maybe you're in process, like the rest of us, but you are God's masterpiece, which He has created to do something wonderful. And again, remember, this book is written to a church. This book is written to a community. And so it's saying, you all are His masterpiece. So 
you individually are his masterpiece, but also you in community become a, even a greater mas masterpiece, revealing God to the world, setting at work in the world to do things for him, to reveal him. And here's the thing, this isn't moralism and this isn't religion, because now the good deeds we do are an overflow of the relationship with him. That's what they are. We, we want to. This was the conversation I was trying to have this week with a young man who, he said it's, you know, the church that, that makes him not believe in God. I said, well, what if it's all about him and not about you? But then we do want to go to church. We do want to gather to worship. We do want to do good things and give because of the relationship with him. That's what he's talking about. We're created new, his workmanship, that he could do great things in and through us. A purpose. This is good news. This is really good news. Now, we're going to show a video. And this isn't really something we would normally show, but I like it a lot. It shares the gospel in a creative and artistic way. So maybe as you start to watch, you're like, hey, this isn't my kind of thing. Put that out for a minute and listen. This is a really good explanation of the gospel. It's the full story of life crushed into four minutes. The entirety of humanity in the palm of your hand crushed into one sentence. Listen, it's intense, right? God, our sins, paying everyone life. The greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told, God. Yes, God, the maker and giver of life. And by life, I mean any and all manner and substance, seen and unseen, what can and can be touched, thoughts, image, emotions, love, atoms, and oceans, God. All of it is handiwork, one of which is masterpiece, made so uniquely that angels look curiously. The one thing in creation that was made with his imagery, a concept so cold, it's the reason I stay bold, how God breathed in a man and he became a living soul. Formed with the intent of being infinitely, intimately fond, creator and creation held an eternal bond. And it was placed in perfect paradise till something went wrong. A species got deceived and started lusting for his job and odd list of complaints. As if the system ain't working and used that same breath, he graciously gave us the cursing. And that sin seed spread through our soul's genome. And by nature of your nature, your species, you participated in the mutiny. Our, yes, our sins. It's nature inherited, black in the human heart. It was over before it started. Deceived from day one and led away by our own lust. There's not a religion in the world that doesn't agree that something's wrong with us. The question is, what is it? And how do we fix it? Are we eternally separated from a God that may or may not have existed? But that's another subject. Let's keep grinding. Besides trying to prove God is like deep in a lion, homie. It don't need your help. Just unlock the cage. Let's move on on how our debt can be paid. Short and sweet. The problem is sin. Yes, sin. It's a cancer, an asthma, choking out our life force, forcing separation from a perfect and holy God. And the only way to get back is to get back to perfection with silly us. Trying to pass the course of life without referring to a syllabus. This is us. Keep up with good deeds. Chant, pray, meditate. But all of that, of course, is spraying cologne on a corpse. Or you could choose to ignore it as if something don't stink. It's like stepping in dog poop and refusing to wipe your shoe. But all of that ends with how good is good enough. Take your silly list of good deeds and line them up against perfection. Good luck. That's life past your pay grade. 
The cost of your soul, you ain't got a big enough piggy bank. But you can give it a shot. But I suggest you throw away the this. Because even your good acts are an extension of your selfishness. But here's where it gets interesting. I hope you're closely listening. Please don't get it twisted. It's what makes our faith unique. Here's what God says is part A of the gospel. You can't fix yourself. Quit trying. It's impossible. Sin brings death. Give God his breath back. You owe him. Eternally separated. And the only way to fix it is someone die in your place. And that someone got to be perfect. Or the payment ain't permanent. So if and when you find a perfect person, get him or her to willingly trade their perfection for your sin and death in. Clearly, since the only one that can meet God's criteria is God, God sent himself as Jesus to pay the cost for us. His righteousness, his death, functions as payment. Yes, payment. Wrote a check with his life, but at the resurrection we all cheered because that means the check cleared. Pierced feet, pierced hands, blood-stained son of man, fullness, forgiveness, free passage into the promised land. That same breath that God breathed into us, God gave up to redeem us. And anyone and everyone, and by everyone I mean everyone, who puts their faith and trust in him, and him alone can stand in full confidence of God's forgiveness. And here's what the promise is. That you are guaranteed full access to return to perfect unity by simply believing in Christ and Christ alone. You are receiving life. Yes, life. This is the gospel. God, our sins, paying everyone. You know, we're going to close in worship, and as we do, if you're in here and you've never given your life to Jesus as Lord, if you've heard this for the first time,